back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And Golden State. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant. And we are back with another edition of Views from the Clutch. As always, we like to take this moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join the wave, you could do so by attaching yourself to us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can also leave us a message direct, viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Special edition, extra, extra, read all about it. We're back, man. We're back. I mean, it's with, it's with, it's with mixed emotions, but it's necessary, you know, that we uh, address what, what is just recently unfolded in the NBA. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you tell them. Oh, yeah. The uh, surprise uh, retirement for uh, Brooklyn's LaMarcus Aldridge, who, who's retired uh, this, this morning. Who basically? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I, I was trying to pull up the actual quote that he said. Uh, but basically, he, he played last. He played the last game he played with a regular heartbeat, and he said that. Oh, he's played his whole career with a with a um with an issue with his heart issue. He, yeah, but his heart issue. He's had a multitude of issues. Like he had he had a syndrome that he had to have surgery for, mm-hmm. so that the blood flow to his body would be properly regulated. So he's always been he's always been a player who's been monitored well not always but after that diagnosis came down he he's always been a player who's been subject to monitoring and keeping a constant eye on his condition so yeah um but like you were saying you know just take back over so he wrote a, a nice long farewell post in regards to his career and um the fact yeah. that for the first time in 15 years he was choosing his, his 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 family over his career pursuits, and um, to do that when you're on the verge of you know, even we did it. Even we basically had reserved the championship trophy. We had already you know started etching the Brooklyn Nets roster names on the trophy, and a big part of that was the fact that they acquired not only Blake Griffin but also Lamarcus Aldridge. And here we are. They don't have both of them now. Um, first and foremost, I want to say the words happy trails, but best of, of luck and wishes to LaMarcus as he enters this stage of his, his life and career. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure that he's going to continue to find ways to contribute to the game and whatever method he can within, you know, the life that he's about to live. Um, I'm very grateful to have been able to watch his entirety of his career from him being a prep star to going to Texas. A lot of people forget, uh, I think he was the big recruit at Texas that left, that paved the way for Kevin Durant to come and have that freshman season that he had that was historical. But he was like one of those, he was like the last big recruit on that in that class. Him and um, young man who broke his neck but still came back to play. TJ Ford. Oh, man. Yeah, TJ Ford. I think didn't they play together? Didn't TJ Ford and um, Lamarcus play together for like maybe a season? Uh, they all are I got to double check. Um, I know him and I know Lamarcus Aldridge and PJ Tucker played together. Lamarcus Aldridge and PJ Tucker played together. Yeah, they played together at Texas. Ooh, ooh! I did not know that. I I always thought that PJ Tucker was kind of out there by himself because you know <laughs> it just felt that way, I guess. But um. All things being said, LaMarcus Aldridge, obviously, um, multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time All-NBA, um, one of those players who his career, his prime, took place as the NBA transition to the NBA that we know it to be. 
So we kind of watched the game outgrow what he was best at, which is, you know, dominating the mid-range area and post-ups, you know. And as the NBA has, you know, shifted towards perimeter-oriented, either scoring at the basket or scoring at the three-point line, a lot of what LaMarcus Aldridge brought to the basketball court, you know, became overshadowed. I don't want to say outdated, but it just wasn't something that a lot of NBA teams were being a part of their game plan. Yeah, yeah. So the things that he do- did well were not being complimented by, you know, the the franchises that he played for. And that ultimately came to a head in San Antonio, which led to, I don't want to say his departure, but led to them both deciding that they needed to go in separate directions and him winding up in Brooklyn. But after what he just said in that post, you know, about the feeling that he had of playing with that irregular heartbeat during the game. And even though now everything's under control, that, that, that moment of despair, that, that lack of being able to know what exactly is going on in your body must have been very jarring for him. Because again, like you said, and like I also mentioned, he's been managing health conditions for a, a big part of his career. Mm-hmm. A big part of his career in the NBA, especially. So I do know that that original issue that he had, it was life or death. And he had to have a surgery, I think, connected to his heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He, if, if you can't you look it up, I'm not near a computer, but I definitely don't. Yeah, it's the uh, like, Wolf Par- Parkinson's White Syndrome. It's a uh, like an extra electrical pathway between your heart's upper and lower chambers that causes a rapid mm-hmm. heartbeat. Um, and it says it's, um, they don't they don't know if the latest scare is related to that condition, but they just know that he was um that's been something that he had to um it had to be addressed during his career. Not not a lot of times because honestly I didn't when when it was said, it reminded me that he had something with his heart, but I didn't remember the to, the, the totality of the situation and I was really I mean again I was surprised because obviously he was playing well but it's got to be extremely scary if you know in the back of your mind that you do have some type of condition and then while you're playing the game it's one of the scariest experiences you have and you already been playing with a situation so you know it must have been really bad for him because yeah. to to be to to be at your end of your career and saying you know what I got to call it quits now because this is this is what I felt. If I feel out again, like I can't even risk yeah. chasing this ring exactly. in a season that I know I could win this ring and walk away. I'd rather just walk away before go you know. go cash my chips in. Say thanks for the opportunity to gamble at the casino. I appreciate it. I'll take the comps and I'll be on my way. Um, yeah, because he had a Dame Lillard was on. Yeah, they, they interviewed Dame Lillard, oh, and Dame Lillard okay. said that, you know, that number 12. Yeah, uh, when I say they, I'm speaking of Jacoby and um, Jalen. They okay. interviewed Dame Lillard immediately, and he came on their podcast, and he said, you know, it's time for Portland to put that 12 in the rafters. Do you think that his his jersey is worthy of retirement by the Portland Trail Blazers? Yo, I was looking at his stats for the Blazers. Yo, he's the all-time leading rebounder. For Blazers, mm-hmm. he's the third time all leading scorer. Uh, mm-hmm. he made he's played, um, how many seasons he played? Almost Portland? all of his all NBA accolades came from his time in Portland, yeah. So, I would not be, I mean, I don't know. I gotta think about it. the more I'm thinking about that. I mean, well, because he played, uh, what one two? He's an all-time three, leading rebounder. Four, five, and Buck six, Williams played there. Seven, eight, nine. He played nine seasons. Yeah, in, you... uh, but he made no. Yeah. He made his all his his um. He made the second team, all NBA second team. He didn't play with the Portland Trailblazers when he did that. He played with um. He played with yeah, the Spurs. Yeah, the Spurs in 2016, 2018. Hmm. Okay, so... okay, interesting. So, well, take that back. No. He played. He did. He did one because it was 2015, 2018. So he made his his last year in Portland, and and his um his last year in Portland is when he made it, and he made it another time after that. So yeah, for that season where he averaged twenty twenty three and um ten a game, and again, but to, to, to be the twelfth, he played nine seasons. See, I don't know who all is. 
been um been actually who's retired for Portland. You know what I mean? Because I, to fact, well, let's just talk about Portland Trailblazer greats. You got Jerome Kersey, you've got Drexler, you've mm-hmm. got Bill Walton, you've got Maurice Lucas, you've got Buck Williams. Um, Do you consider Mo Cheeks or no? A Blazer? Wait, did Mo Cheeks play for the Blazers? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm bugging. He might have, but I think I think his accolades really rest on his 76ers time. That's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. yeah. Them. That's when he got a championship with them, too. So, now I'm bugging. You know what, Cheeks, I think, it wasn't Cheeks a coach for the Blazers, I think. I don't think yeah. he was. I, I think that's what it was. So, that's why I was thinking. Yeah, um, you got Terry Porter. Terry Porter. Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan. Did Nate McMillan play for the Blazers? Yeah, no, nah, definitely. Um, yeah, no. Nate he was a Sonic, coach. too. Yeah, he was assigned too. You know, yeah, yeah coached yo, him. Yo, we bugging this. Yo, this part is this part is crazy right now. We bugging with yeah, this. Yeah, fact, our fact checking is broke. <laughs> We're going off of old man broke. memories, but it's not like it's not like these are lies because Mo Cheeks did like coach the Blazers, or he was like a part of the Blazers coaching staff. Nate McMillan definitely coached the Blazers. He coached Brandon Roy. I believe he was part of that team. Yeah, no, Nate part, McMillan did not. At, he played his whole career for Seattle. Yeah. No, no, I know he played for Seattle, but no, I, I know, believe but he we coached was, the Blazers. For us to be to for us to be naming coaches that we thought was players. That's as, what's as, funny. Yeah, as as great. As great. Yeah, that's hilarious. So yeah, but it's all good. That's how it is, man. We do we do this some, certain things on the fly. But yeah, I think the uh, reality is, I, I, like I said, I, I'd have to see who else is retired because. Is that something that they normally do? I don't know. I don't remember how he left. Did he leave I think it's on a good given. terms? That I, part, that part, you know, everybody thought he was going to come back and run it back, and he wound up leaving. And, you know, it was that feeling. Because, remember, he did two years with Dame Lillard. And, you know, I don't want to say that this is something that he put out there or that, like, maybe the media put out there. But the underlying impression when he left for San Antonio was that he, that he almost acted like the town wasn't big enough for the two of them. I don't really think that was where he, where where his mind was at. I just, you know, at the end of the day, it never really made sense to me that he left because I thought that Portland was trending upward. But again, you know, yeah, what's yeah. in that man's mind and at that time. And then we, we also forget LaMarcus Aldridge went to college in Texas. He left Portland to go play for a team that's in Texas. So yeah. Maybe it was more so about him wanting to be somewhere that he actually wanted to be than anything else. And you can't take that away from anybody. Like like we've always spoken about with, with player empowerment and players having the right and the ability to be able to choose where they want to go, have, mm-hmm. have more impact on their destiny and how their career plays out. I'm not mad at him. And even if it was some some petty jealousy nonsense stuff. I think the way he would reta- – yeah, I think – let me say this. I'm looking. I'm looking over Portland's – people that they have retired. Uh, Maurice Lucas, obviously, he played only five seasons. He's a three-time All-Star, def- all-defensive team. He averaged about 15-8 and eight, uh, during his time. But Portland, his jersey's retired, number 20. Clyde Drexler's number 22, so you already know that because he played 12 seasons. Yeah. Terry Porter's played 10, 10 seasons in Portland, two-time All-Star. His jersey's retired. Bill Walton's jersey's retired. And a couple some other players. Jerome Kersey's, Jerome uh, Kersey and, and Kevin Duckworth, they're not retired, right? They're nah, not retired. they're not retired. I'm, that's why I was looking. Because some of the other players that uh, that a lot. Sabonis, is his jersey retired? Nah, 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 nah. According to this website, this realgm.com. But, yeah, I would say. They retired. They ain't retired my boy Zebo's jersey either. You know what I'm saying? Nah, nah, nah. All You know what I mean? So. Again, I wow. think I think I think they would have to. I would do it because again, to be the, the all-time leader rebounder, third-time leader scorer. I think that right there. I think that right there. That clock in right there warrants. You know what I mean? His place in the basket. And he played nine years. And, yeah. And it was a multi-time. And, pretty, and you said he's top three franchise. He's top three all-time leading scorer in the in the franchise. That's what I'm saying. So and he only played on, nine years. On top of being an all-time leader, right? And on top of being the leading rebounder. You're your top 10 all-time in points. You're top five. You're top three. You know, Dame Lillard is going to continue to expand that, and I think C.J. McCollum is probably going to chase behind him, but they probably still have a ways to go because if he's top three, what? Uh, Drexler pretty much only gave Houston, what, 
two seasons. He, well, Drexler played um, 12 years in Portland. Right. And he only gave Houston two seasons after that, right? About that. So I would think that, that so I would think that he's probably the franchise's all-time leading scorer. I would be surprised if someone else is. I'm about to check this because I was looking. And then uh, I would think Dame Lillard is probably, you know, not far behind. He might be about to pass LaMarcus, if not already passed him and chasing um and chasing Clyde as we speak. So yeah, because he's because he's uh where is points? Where is Dame's obviously Because Dame was giving him nine years, right? Or ten in Portland now? He's close. He's close. He is He's the he he's a twenty ten draft. Mm-hmm. This might be his eleventh season. Yeah, so Clyde, like, like we said, this is the this is the views from not the facts podcast. Words, because this ain't working. I mean, I I was looking for points. That joint is showing me everything else. It told me like the block shots, and I'm like, I don't looking for block shots. I'm looking for total yeah. points, like because it says field goals, but that again, that don't mean total points because you can have. Um, hmm. All right, hold this. Is, this is probably the best what way to do it. Basketball reference, brother. I no nah, basketball reference. Give me ever. Yeah, he is third. Okay, so Drexler, Drexler is Drexler's number one with eighteen thousand, right? Uh, Dame Lillard is number two with sixteen thousand three hundred. He played nine seasons, and these stats updated uh, today, so it's, it's recent. Lamarcus Aldridge is third with twelve thousand five hundred and sixty-two. Played nine seasons. Terry Porter was eleven thousand three hundred thirty. Cliff Robinson is nine thousand. I mean, ten thousand four hundred. CJ is number and nine. CJ McCollum is number nine. Number nine with with uh, nine thousand five hundred fifty seven. He played eight seasons. Yo, Jim Paxson got yes. People 10, forget Jim Paxson put up ten k. I know ten thousand in Portland though. I know. I thought they put yeah. that. I put that. I thought they put that ten k in his career, not in Portland. You know what I mean? That's... Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know of him wearing another jersey. I mean, remember that's John's brother, Jim. That's not you know. That's not John who hit the shot for Chicago Paxson. That's Jim, John's big brother Paxson. Still, I don't. Rem- I I don't. Yeah. I'd have to look to Listen, see. And those those guys predate. Like, I mean, I'm older than you, and I was probably, you know what I mean? Like, I probably didn't have many teeth in my mouth when Jim Paxson was cutting his as a Portland Trailblazer. Um, it's surprising though because even in that top ten, oh, he, you know played, with, no, he played with Boston three years. That's why I was like, wait, say I remember him playing in Boston. I thought, um, right. And here's another guy who played for the Trails, Trailblazers and played for Boston, and he's not anywhere near that top ten. You realize in that top ten, Bill Walton's not there. Yeah, not for scoring. Michael Thompson, who won rings as a Laker, is a top ten Blazers all-time points leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliff Robinson is is number five. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Cliff Robinson. Mm-hmm. I hope he's retired as a Blazer because he was Mister Do It All for them. I thought. I thought. I mean, again, he was Mister Do It All. I, I would. I would assume. But again, this we don't. They, as of right now, no, he has. He's not. At least according to the website I saw, the real GM dot com that said that. But it, they, the only thing about it, you never know. Sometimes. Sometimes. They, 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 that type of stuff. Retirement jerseys might be in the works, and they just don't. Just mm-hmm. something ha- you know, things happen, and you don't get a chance. And to then do it. remember, with with the climate that we're in, with COVID, you know, a lot of those type of ceremonies are, are being postponed and held back on until mm-hmm. you can truly have fans available to appreciate them. So, you know, that's part of like what happened with John Wall and his send off when he went back to Washington. You know, what I'm saying it was real mid. Obviously, because you know they couldn't really have a crowd to give that type of send off that they want to give the you know thanks and appreciation mm-hmm. for your years of service, time to time of service type of thing that they tend to do for players like that. Um, yeah, again, um, like I said, nothing but but best of wishes to Lamarcus Aldridge in, in the remainder of his life. You know, what I'm saying I hope that that health condition is something that doesn't deter or limit his ability to enjoy life away from the game mm-hmm. because that's the last thing that you want as a player to have put so much into the game that your long-term health becomes compromised by the decisions you made to, you know, try and propel yourself to that ultimate goal, winning a championship or being the best player in your position, whatever the case may be, because everybody's, 
you know, goal centrics are different, but I definitely enjoy watching Lamarcus Aldridge play, like I said, from his prep time to his pro time. And it was nothing like watching him go over his right shoulder or left shoulder and just go to work. You know what I'm saying? Like that type of that type of game that he has is is not to be seen again, most likely the way that the current NBA is evolving. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to see guys who really get busy on the block without actually doing a lot of dominant athleticism stuff, but really truly using skill and finesse to dominate a game. Because I remember those series where he had the Houston Rockets looking like they didn't know how to play defense. Mm. I mean, he set Dwight Howard packing off of fundamentals. And then Dame Lillard still the deal with that with that fadeaway three, which began the Dame deal, you know, the Dame Dame Lillard legend. But um, yeah, again, like I said, does this? And I think I think this is the the, the elephant in the room, because here we were ready to hand the championship over to Brooklyn over the strength of Lamarcus and Blake Griffin joining. Now they're one less signee. Mm-hmm. Does Brooklyn does Brooklyn suddenly become less of a favorite? I think by default the answer is yes, but how much so? That that's the um that's the million dollar question right there. You just don't know because he was he was he was he fit he was fitting in well with that with that offense and with that team, and he was able to mm-hmm. p- present start well not just but yeah start and be effective in his role because honestly. In his point in his career, he would be able to he was able to provide Brooklyn with more offensive offensive power than Blake was, you know, because he was able to still do the pick and pop, the screen and rolls. He was that threat that you still had to account for when he's shooting the ball. Most people are gonna let Blake shoot the ball. They're gonna try to keep Blake from driving or re off the glass. And again, Blake is what, six eight? Lamarcus was six eleven mm-hmm. six eleven. So he's playing center. Mm-hmm. I think I think like you said, it, it will put a little chink in the armor, but we don't we don't know for sure what that what that would do. Because sometimes something like this, maybe the team will rally together and they'll go ahead and go ahead and do better. And we at this point we still don't know when all those guys are gonna come back hundred percent healthy. So even if Lamarcus was still there. If the if the big if the big three don't suit up for the playoffs, it's going to be rough. Yeah, it's it's a it's almost a it's still there's still a level of I don't want to say a moot point, but you definitely are hoping that Brooklyn is going to come back at the full possible strength of whatever that roster is. But here's the thing: I think it changes the dynamic, but I don't I don't think that the pressure is any less on them to come home with a championship. And here's why: all Lamarcus Aldridge did was make it easier for us to not think about DeAndre Jordan. That's really all he did. Mm-hmm. He took the DeAndre Jordan factor and kind of like reduced it to zero because what he brought offensively was so much more useful to Brooklyn from a scheming standpoint. And you can just see it out there on the court. If you got a big man that, that can hit from range and, like you said, complete the pick and roll, complete the pick and pop. Because Brooklyn spacing allows you to not have to be the most athletic big man in the world. If you're picking, if you're setting an effective screen because of the guys you can't help off of, the lane is still going to be open if you know how to anticipate your role correctly. And LaMarcus was doing that. And remember, I saw him catch a couple alley-oops now, and we had both laughed about it, but seeing LaMarcus Aldridge catch alley-oops is a, is a, was a rare sight. And it wasn't something that we saw too often in San Antonio, Mm-mm. even in the Portland days. No. He was never one to like make his athleticism be his strong suit. So mm-hmm. the fact that he was able to, you know, get up and get up down the floor definitely gave them an element and a versatility that they're going to lose. But again, the trade-off is you're getting back a former what? Like all defensive team frontline player who only got marginalized because he can't shoot. Yeah. So now you reincorporate him back into the offense. Obviously, he's played with Blake Griffin before, so it's not going to be a situation where DeAndre Jordan don't know how to play basketball. It's just there's just certain things that his limitations don't allow him to do. Do I think that Brooklyn is any less of a favorite? I think their dimensions have changed, but I don't think the pressure should be any less, and I don't think the expectation should be any less. It's 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 
to me, it's ring a bus with that roster. Yeah. Um, Whether LaMarcus Aldridge is on it or not. Of course, because you got to think about it. Even if they don't get Blake Griffin and they don't get LaMarcus Aldridge, it's still championship or bust. You know what I mean? So yeah. with the three, with the three. Exactly, with the three-headed monster. So you have to look at, yes, it's, it's going to be a blow, and we'll, we'll see what the effects are come the playoff time. Because I mean, that move that was, but that's just it. We can't see what the effects are because oh, that's right. Because he didn't Brooklyn play in the playoffs. Team... Right, Brooklyn is a team that hasn't been uniform long enough for the entirety of the season. Yeah, like I think their big three has played together seven times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Well, I was also looking from the standpoint of if they necessarily get exposed because you're passing the ball to DeAndre or you're passing the ball to some type of forward, and those oh, guys aren't yeah, knocking yeah, down yeah. the shots, and you're like, well, Lamarcus. That's why they wanted him, to knock down those shots that DeAndre, you can't even give him the ball in that situation. You know, because if you got yeah. if you got DeAndre Jordan shooting outside of the paint, that's, yeah, you, you yeah, it's bad for you. That's a turnover. Yeah, it's, it's going to be bad for you. That, that's, that's essentially giving the ball to, that's essentially giving the ball to the defense. That's taking the ball out. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, so I think. I think with with this, and I don't mean that as like DeAndre slander. I'm just saying, like, no, no, we, know, he's but, not known for his perimeter activity. And, and again, but that's not his strength, and that's not the role that they need him to play. So uh, nobody wants to be playing. No, I'm not going to bring you in. I'm not trying to win a championship with you playing outside of your role. Like, no, your role is to be the defender, the shot blocker, grab some alley oops, what you've been doing your whole career. You know, you can't you can't ask a, a zebra to change your stripes now. You know what I mean? It's like absolutely. So it's it, it'll be. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think I think with the whole NBA dynamic, the injury, the injuries, the healthiest team, and the teams that's going to be playing with some type of um, some type of continuity is gonna is gonna go a long way. I I, I really feel like if Brooklyn's not a hundred percent, but I also feel like I kind of feel like with this season between Brooklyn and the Lakers, I feel like they're just trying to hurry up and just get to the playoffs and say, you know what, we'll come back. I would, I will be surprised. We'll if, figure it out when the I money feel, time I, happens. Well, I think, I think, I think if, I think we're at about 10 games left to go in the season. I, I will not be surprised if both teams are fully at their roster. Cause you're giving those guys about 10 games to kind of figure some things out, make some adjustments. There's also when you, uh, coach going Solidify into the playoffs. your rotations. Yes. And then also, but again, it's not enough. It's not enough for a defensive team or your opponent to really have so much time to, um, to game plan, to game plan. So you have to understand that it's one of those things where, you, where you're going to have to see But I said, that's what I'm saying. I give them about 10 games. If, if these guys are not back by with ten games left, they got some bigger issues, you know, because these injuries are a lot more serious than expected. Because I can't, I can't see the Lakers, and I'm I'm saying Lakers because they have two of their top players, their their top players. The same thing with Brooklyn, the top players out. So if it, you're not you're not expecting those guys to just all right, game one of the playoffs, we'll just it's his first game back. No, you want those guys to get some type of reps in. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, it's going to be Monday time. So, you don't even want. But here's my thing. You bring the Lakers into the conversation. You bring a team that, with Frank Vogel and what they went through in the bubble last year, they've kind of dealt with figuring things out on the fly. And they have a season, a previous, you know, they have what happened in the bubble to, to, to fall back on. Because, remember, there were times where Anthony Davis didn't play. There were times where they were resting LeBron. They... I think they have, they have a level of understanding of what their guys can and can't do, at a at a more, less guess ratio than Brooklyn does. Remember, Kevin Durant literally, he he he's been out of the game for eighteen months. This is his first season with Brooklyn. They really don't know what his limitations are, and they're kind of learning them on the fly. James Harden is a brand new player to their roster. Kyrie Irving, when he came last year, he didn't even finish out the season, but he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So. I think, again, and like you alluded to, Brooklyn's got to figure something out and get to a level of comfort. But at the same time, I feel like it's unfair for us to put that pressure on them because their coach wasn't their coach last year. 
Nah, you, you, really you don't make. Do? But again, you don't make those type of moves, and we can't. We have to be fair enough. You have to figure it out. You didn't get those three those three players to be like, well, we don't have enough continuity, so you got to give us a. Oh, pass. I don't think you know excuses I mean? are available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think, regardless of anything, there's excuses that are going to be available that anybody's going to accept. I think Steve Nash knows what he signed up for, but at the same time, Kyrie and Kevin Durant kind of insulated him. They told the world we don't need a coach. So how do you really blame somebody that the players minimalize and marginalize before he could ever coach a game? The only people who could really pick on him, meaning Steve Nash, is ownership. They can say, oh, well, you didn't live up to what we hired you for. Because the players have already made it clear that they don't want their success to be tied to how good or bad the coach is. They've already stepped away from that and said, if this works, it's because of what we did collectively. You know, like they, they're not going to go for the old, like, you know, triangle master, Zen master, Pat Riley, Popovich, Spolstra, you know, those guys getting credit. They, they, they said it's a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. So if, so if this thing crashes and burns, they all got to eat that crow together. And I think, you know, Steve Nash will do his job because Steve Nash has always been a stand-up person. So I can't see him running from this situation and saying, oh, don't blame me, blame them. I think he'll definitely take ownership of it. I think Mike D'Antoni will be the one who will enjoy finally not being the blame for something. Mm-hmm. Because he, he, he's been the blame for every failure, for every roster that he's ever been a part of, whether it was his failure or not. I do think, and I still think to this day, he unfortunately got done very raw. One day we'll do that. We'll go into how the Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less never really had a chance. There was always something that derailed them. And I can go over each season and point to a specific turning point that pretty much doomed them or committed them to not being able to get to the finish line. But back to, to this whole situation with Brooklyn. Um, in the post game, Kyrie Irving admitted after they lost to um, Philly, he said, yeah, we can't guard Joel Embiid. The elephant in the room that we've been talking about just got discussed on all the other major sports networks. I didn't even hear that. I, I heard I heard there were, there were people were saying, I heard something, but I didn't hear that. So, but I'm, yeah. you know, again, we already knew that. But for you to go out there and tell the media that, I think, you know, but I, again, I don't know if you share that. Because you, but again, that's point, the same night. That's the same night. Lamarcus Aldridge is having his final issues with his, you know, what I'm saying with his heart condition because he played that game. No, he didn't play against Philly last night. He didn't play against Philly. No, he didn't play. Oh, he that's right. He said his last game was Saturday. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But again, regardless of who Brooklyn is trotting out there, whether it's DeAndre Jordan, whether it's Lamarcus Aldridge, they don't have nobody. This. There's maybe two or three guys in the NBA total who can give Joel Embiid a, a real problem. And one of those guys is aged out. Ironically, the two guys who probably stand to give Joel Embiid the most trouble, they both play for the Lakers. One is Mark Gasol, who gave him a lot of trouble in that series where, you know, Kawhi had to hit the miracle shot to send Philly home. And the other guy is Anthony Davis. Those are the only yeah. two guys in the NBA that I see with their skill set, versatility, and experience who could stand to make things really difficult for Joel Embiid for seven games. As Brooklyn is currently constructed, you know, it's kind of like they got in the line and was like, okay, we're going we gonna to get all the jump shots we can and we'll figure out the other pieces when we get there. And the holes that it left was that their front court does not have a lot of versatility when it comes to being able to pose a threat on the offensive end. And I think that's going to be a factor because you don't beat Joel Embiid by guarding him. You beat Joel Embiid by making him work, by exhausting him. Because mm-hmm. we all know that his Achilles heel is his fitness. So if you can attack his fitness, get at his legs, wear him out, and make those minutes that he has less impactful by basically, you know, counteracting his effectiveness by making him work harder on defense or at least exposing him on defense so that he can stay out on the floor, that gives you a puncher's chance. But Brooklyn doesn't have something like that. 
You know, even if you slide Kevin Durant down to the four, which is what they did a lot for for him this season, that still doesn't contend with the fact that Joel Embiid plays the five. So it, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. And I think for Brooklyn's sake, you hope that Milwaukee gets to Philadelphia first because Milwaukee and Philadelphia match up a lot better as far as front court players go. So maybe a Giannis and a um, and Brook Lopez combination can do you a favor before you have to face them. You well, know? See, that, I don't that know was, if the seating supports that. that. Yeah, I don't know if the seating supports that that arrangement, you know, coming into play because what Milwaukee's third and Philadelphia is currently first. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, but that's why that's why you if you're Brooklyn, you want to finish the number one seed because that means that second round matchup would be uh Milwaukee and it would be Philadelphia. Let those dudes fight it out, slug it out, where there's a possibility that if Brooklyn finishes number one, if they play the fourth seed, which is currently the Atlanta Hawks, you don't see one they, of those two teams until the finals. The West, the, the exactly. Finals. And let them two, let them two plug it out and get, let them limp into the conference finals while you've kind of had it possibly an easier way around, an easier uh, series. Yeah, because right but now, it, if you get the fourth seed, aren't you playing the Hawks? That's what I'm saying. Atlanta's the fourth seed. I mean, it will be. It's either it's either going to be Atlanta, Boston, or New York. You know what I mean? Like or maybe Miami. Like so. So you have that with those four seeds. That's not a strong. Maybe maybe Miami would give Brooklyn a little bit of fits, but other than that, a full a full Brooklyn roster. That's why you went. That's why Brooklyn. Is, you want to aim for number one seed because again, you avoid Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But if you don't finish number one, then there's a possibility the second round is you and you and uh, Milwaukee, which could be could be an issue, you know, because uh, just don't know though. That, that's that's the thing. That's the thing with this particular season. That number that number one seed means a is, lot. Is key. It, it's key. It's very, yeah, it's key because you kind of have the you know an easier road to travel. I definitely agree with you. I definitely agree that 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 East number one seed is prime real estate, and um, I think I think Doc Rivers is very aware of that. But Doc Rivers has always been a push for the best thing possible regular season type of coach since you know he got that big three assembled in in Boston. Mm-hmm. He hasn't always been able to stay true to it because again he's had to navigate and keep keep rosters healthy. You know, even with the um, the Clippers. They always would have a knickknack injury that would take Blake Griffin out for like 26 games or another one of their key players that would not allow them to play their best for the full entirety of an 82-game season. Um, so yeah, yeah. I definitely think I definitely think it's in whoever's, whoever's best interest <laughs> to win the East to go ahead and, and do their best to do so. And, I, I, you know, Brooklyn and, and, and Philly, they're only separated by what, like a game? So, Bro- yeah, Brooklyn and Philly. Yeah, so the game last night, the game, the game right. where they played, they played each other. So that's the difference between one game. So they would have to, and they both have, if I'm not mistaken, they both have about twenty games left, maybe a little yeah, less. Yeah, and we looked games. at the and we looked at their schedule, and we saw that Brooklyn's schedule isn't too bad. They got one of those schedules, and in twenty in the twenty games remaining, they could do a. 15 and 5, 17 and 3. Yeah, but and the thing about it is I'm looking, I'm currently looking at the 76ers schedule, and it's roughly the same thing. They, they their toughest opponents, they're gonna get them out the way and they're gonna be able to finish with a weaker schedule because they play they play uh they play the Clippers on Friday, they play Golden State, got Phoenix, then you have two games against Milwaukee. Then after that, you don't play another team that's 500 until Miami, which is the, the third to last game of the season. Mm. So, because you play, you play Atlanta twice. They just beat Atlanta. Milwaukee, I mean, not Milwaukee, Philly. I'm talking about Philly. My bad. Philly plays Atlanta twice. They play Oklahoma City. 
They play the Spurs. They play Chicago. They play Orlando twice to end the season. They play Detroit. They play Indiana. They play Houston. So, you know, they have a they have a really favorable schedule to finish number one. So I would, yeah, I, I, based off of what you just read off, I would expect or I would, I would think that Philly should be able to hold that number one seed if they went out at the current pace that they have been playing. Yeah, because I'm looking. And if that's the I'm case, looking at Brooklyn. Brooklyn's really got some work cut out for them come the postseason. Yeah, because I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this uh, Brooklyn schedule, and it could be misleading because I mean. You got Charlotte, Miami, you got Boston, you got Phoenix. You I think got there was Portland. only there was only like two teams in their remaining twenty games where I saw like easy wins for, and I didn't even count the Pelicans in that. Um, Chicago, Chicago has become. Let's go ahead and deal with that. So Zach Levine has entered what uh, the health the and health, health and safety protocol. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's related to some sort of COVID exposure. Did they announce it was COVID related? But isn't that what that means when you go into the when you go into that that's health, what I, that protocol? I was under that impression. That's the only reason why you go into that health and safety protocol. And yeah. the only problem with that is, is it did not say how long. It says yeah, several and, games. and they used yeah several games usually mean when when it happened for Durant, it was like a seven to ten ten day window. So I think it's going to be contingent upon, you know, testing and all those other things. But this harkens back to three or four podcasts ago when I spoke about vaccination and how it can impact some of these teams. And we've been speaking about it since the season, before the season began, how COVID could stand to play a role and whether or not some teams make it to the playoffs. Another thing that was brought up in the, um, in the podcast where – Dame Lillard spoke was something that you had spoken to about a couple of days ago as well. The whole um, Dallas Mavericks being upset about the uh, playoff format. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, the way he sees it, when they did it last year, he felt like it was cool because it brought interest back to a situation where the NBA didn't even have the opportunity to have fans attend the game. So you needed to do something that was going to create intrigue. Mm-hmm. That was cool. This season, he says, you know, it's more so closer to what a regular season would be like, even with all the things going on. So he can understand why they could feel that way. And it does kind of like make it seem like the playoff hunt is really only comfortable basically based on what I said and have been saying. You want to be in the top six. Yeah, of course. You don't want nothing to do with seven, eight, nine, ten. No, uh, because nah. you're a two-game losing streak away, and in some sense, and in some instances, you're one game away from from no playoffs. Yeah. Now, if you're in the seventh and eighth spot, you have to win one of those two games. Yeah. You win the first one. You win the first one. Your spot is secure. If you're the yep. seventh and eighth. Exactly. You win the second one. Your spot is secure. So one of those two games, you have to win. You win that first one. You relax. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously those nine ten games, the those nine ten teams, they gotta win two games in a row. They yeah. gotta win to play for that right for the eighth spot. So that's yep. a different ball game. But to finish seventh or eighth and know that you're on a window of <laughs> you gotta win one of the next two games, there's pressure. But you know mm-hmm. what? That's what the playoffs are about. So I think that's probably where some of the frustration comes from. Like, yo, we grinded this whole season to have it come down to it's almost that baseball effect. Yeah, because there's teams that definitely play 162 games and they get that wild card game and you have to win it. I get it. Exactly, exactly. Because you literally, you lose a game and it's a wrap for you. So all the hard work you did meant nothing. So, so yeah. So that, but I mean, and, and if you look at the standings, Portland's only one game up from Dallas. So, that's mm-hmm. going to be a battle right there to the end of the season. So I know both of those teams are probably like, listen, we're battling each other to, to stay out of that playing tournament. Right. And, and, and Lillard spoke on hard. that. He was yeah. like, and Lillard spoke on that. He said, he said, he said exactly what you said. He said, it's not like we're that far ahead of Dallas where we could even be comfortable. He's like, we're in the sixth spot right now, but we could backslide. 
and that could be us. And he was like, I would, I could definitely understand where Luca's coming from. Mm-hmm. So I get both sides of the equation, but like you said, everybody knows what they signed up for because they agreed to it before the season started. So complaining about it now is just kind of weird. But yeah. you know, when you're in the moment, when you're in the moment, you know, you, you become a prisoner of the moment. And I think that's kind of like what Luca did. Mm-hmm. But since we are talking about Luca, let's talk about that game winner that has kind of like split the basketball world. Some people are calling it the luckiest shot ever. Some people are saying that Luca is now one of the most skilled people to ever play in the NBA because he made that shot. What, what, what's your take on that shot? That running one legged three pointer? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think it was, I think it obviously, you know, you have to, to be. To be lucky sometimes you do have to have a certain set of skills, you know, so I think he can go somewhere. I don't think he's the most skilled player ever, no. Um, I think he definitely has a lucky shot because the fact that he was able to shoot that and get get the shot off with, before time expiring, that's that's more so luck. That's not a skill. He didn't he didn't go in trying to practice. He wasn't practicing. Nobody, I don't think people practice that type of shot. Well, I mean, if you, you know? follow the play and track what happened, the play was broken. Mm-hmm. He he got to the ball in a way that didn't seem like how it was diagrammed. And once he got the ball, he was defended pretty well. And because he stumbled, that gave that opportunity for that shot to become available. If he does, you know, any a regular basketball move, he probably bounces that ball right off the defender's leg, and it's a steal. But because he stumbles a little bit, he throws the whole, the whole orientation of that play off, and that gave him the opening to throw up the lucky shot. Listen, lucky shots happen all the time. Everybody wants to talk about, what about Magic when he hit that Kareem Scott hook? Mm-hmm. We never. After that, we started seeing him hit sky hooks, but that was the first time we saw him do it. You know, there there are plenty of moments in basketball history that they they relate to luck. You know, Lady Luck does shine on you sometimes. So yeah, I think it was a lucky play, but at the same time, a lot of us have been in the gym and we practiced goofy running three pointers and made them. So you know, there is a level of muscle memory. You do still have to be able to execute getting the ball off, being behind the line and putting the, the correct trajectory on that basketball to make it go in. So I give credit where credit is due. It doesn't, you know, in my mind, raise or lower his pedigree any as a basketball player. I think, you know, like I said, like people get into that person at the moment and, and they start to overhype a situation. And I'm just saying, you know, everybody dial it down, you know. Yeah, he's still, still great. Yeah, he's still nice. Like, that didn't, to me, that didn't, that didn't put him on the borderline of, you know, like that wasn't the shot to be like, oh my gosh, uh, he's the best player in the world. No, nah, that ain't even close. I mean, he's he's nice, and that that win statistically, statistically, he's already in a class that like can't be argued. Yeah, but same way we, we can say what we want about the Joker, the Joker is already like top ten triple doubles for his career, all time, all time as a center, and That's not crazy. and not as a center. I'm talking about all players. Nikola Jokic has as many triple-doubles as some of the greats. Like, it's Oscar Robinson, Russell Westbrook, Jokic. Triple-doubles. So, those are, those are some of the historical thresholds that these new-age players are breaking. Luka Doncic is in that conversation because Luka Doncic is one of those people who's chasing all-time triple-doubles accumulated. So, mm-hmm. his greatness statistically and what he produced on the court, there's not really much a debate about it. It's now a level of, is he good enough that what he brings to the table can actually give you a return that gives you an NBA championship, a deep playoff run, because that's all that's really left for him to do. And that's crazy to think because he's only, what, 22? Mm-hmm. And the only thing really left that we can use to evaluate Luka Doncic because he's done so much already is, can he win a championship? Yeah, you know, and some players have to deal with that for the entirety of their career. Like that's what Dame Lillard is going to have to deal with. We can say all we want about his loyalty, and you know that he does great work in the community, his rapping, and mm-hmm. finally making the All Star team, and you know the Dame time with the you know signature walk off mm-hmm. three pointers that he's done and game winners and all that. All that is great, 
But now, the really, the only thing left to measure him or really care about him accomplishing is winning the championship. Yeah, no, no, of course. I mean, it, it's but it's it, it's it's they're always going to be players like that. I mean, but to, but to backtrack, the Joker, he's not number three all time in. No, I didn't mean number three all time, but I mean, actively, I mean he's, he he actively. is he is top ten. No, I mean he's I mean you know James Harden and LeBron are ahead of him, and you know Westbrook is. Hey, damn, Westbrook only need eleven more to be the all time leader. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I'm, Westbrook I'm, is like. Yeah, he's at yeah, Westbrook is on. Yeah, he's on. Um, he's on Oscar's Hills. No, of course. Look at he's. He, if I'm not mistaken, he's out of the last ten games, he's had like. Eight triple doubles out of the last ten games. Yeah. Like, so let's not play. That dude is. Let's say what you want about that dude to say. You know he can't win. Listen, man. Every, I think if every every part if every every fan would love players like that on their team, that's going to give you that all out energy and effort. Like, yes, his slot selection is not that great, and he's not the best shooter, but he finds ways to be effective in different areas, and that's what you would want as a fan. You know, because how many times you say, well, man, these guys don't play. They're looking like they play hard enough. They're out there looking like they're just going through the motions. You can't say that with Russ. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but to go back to your points about the whole the triple-double aspect, yeah, I mean, it, those, those, are, those are real things. And you just have to look at what these teams are going to have to do, these adjustments that's going to have to be made. And just, just, really, just really trying to figure it out. I mean, because – you have um, who's that? You have this whole Dallas and and um Portland situation with those players that are very, very elite on their team, but their teams are not getting over the hump. We're not getting to the finals. We're not winning a championship. You get so many players like that because Luca. You say, oh, he's got to win a championship. You look at Luca's roster. That's not a championship roster. There's no to if if the Mavericks get in the finals, that means Luca is surprise. surprising the word. Listen, that means Luca is probably averaging fifty. I mean, let's be or, honest; they don't have enough. Or Chris Stapps is finally playing to his potential. But yeah, but what are the chances of that? I mean, yes, but I mean, he would st- Luca would still have to give you. At least thirty a night, with with about thirteen assists. Well, okay, okay. Wait, let's let's because Dallas Dallas don't contextualize have firepower. Luca Luca gives you almost a triple double every night. Not even a fake, not even fiction. That that's yeah, yeah, no, no. He's like he's close to a triple double. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but that means he would have to. Luca's giving you almost a triple double. What is Chris Stapps giving you? Is he even averaging over twenty a game right now? I'm about to check it out, but I think if he's if he's at twenty, he's barely there. But hold on, let me let me look at the stat real quick. Luca's averaging twenty eight, so basically twenty nine a game. Yeah, Pazingas is averaging twenty a game, but let's be honest. Is it a nineteen point eight twenty or no, is it a twenty point one twenty? It's a twenty point seven. Almost twenty one a game. Yeah. But he's only played That's not good enough. He's only played in 35 games out of the 50. So mm-hmm. and we don't again, we don't know what we're getting with What about players. rebounds? Uh he's averaging nine rebounds a game. Pathetic. So again, but that's the thing. Again, when we're talking about Luca, that's so, not wait. enough firepower. Let to me say let me, let me contextualize it. So so if Porzingis goes from 20.7 and 9 a game to what a dominant big with his skill set should be able to get to. Let's say, let's say he gets to the Anthony Davis level, 27 and 12. That's not possible. If he's giving you 27 and 12, when is he ever done? It's not about when; it's about hypothetical. So just entertain the hypothetical for for the for the cast for the people out there listening. If somehow Porzingis gives you that with Luca's same production, do they make it out the first round? Depends on the matchup. Is that enough? Depends on the matchup. It's all about matchup. Because I think, because I think, and this is what 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 
Dallas proved, they hedged themselves on the fact that that duo would be a quote-unquote dominant all-time duo. Did they not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. When they brought those guys together, you know, they were telling everybody, oh, we're bringing Chris Stapps here to be, you know, Robin for for Luca's Batman, or however it plays out. These two are going to be our new Dirk and Nash. And this time, we're not going to let them split up. We're we're going to keep this together. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is a complimentary part. So, I think at this point, Dallas's window and their potential is hedged, unfortunately, on Chris Stapps more than it is Luca. Because I said it and I keep saying it. How does Luca get better? How? More stats? That just means that he's doing more and the rest of the team is incapable of doing anything else. At this point, his production needs to be what it is. And the players around him have to improve with it. LeBron James in his peak years was giving you what, 27, 7, and 8? Mm-hmm. And it was just a matter of how great were the other guys around him. It's, you know, he had those seasons where he was one of the league leaders in scoring, but they didn't win the championship those years. Mm-hmm. He might have dragged into the finals one of those years, but yeah. they didn't have enough firepower to win a championship. But when his production was in that elite level, with you know superstar level complimentary people around him, he's able to win. And right now, Kristaps Porzingis is not even an all star. You're 20 and 10 on paper, essentially, but you're not even an all star caliber player because one, you don't play enough games, and two, even with those stats, you don't impact enough games f- for you to resonate throughout the league, and that's a problem. Kristaps has got to get his identity together. I don't know if you put that on on um, Rick Carlisle. I don't know if you put that on the Mavericks franchise because I don't think it's a situation where you trade him. I just think that they haven't really figured out what their identity is with those two guys and how to maximize it. And until they do, this is what we're going to see when it, when it comes to a team like Dallas. Whereas on the other hand, you have what Utah did and they basically turned over the keys to Donovan Mitchell and say, yo, shoot. You, you, you got the green light to shoot us in and out of the playoffs. We'll live with it. We'll live with it. But they have their identity. Now, does that identity translate to them be a favorite for the NBA championship? No. But we know their max ceiling. I think that's the problem that Dallas has. And we've been speaking to that before. Remember, was, oh, what's Dallas missing? And you were like, oh, I think it's some parts on defense. And, and then I think we brought, uh, we brought skills and drills on. And he spoke to some things that he felt like were missing in Dallas. Like, they still have that element going with them where we don't know, and I think it's Chris Stapps, until he's unlocked and able to truly be the dominant force that his um, intangibles, his height, his skill set point to him being, Dallas is going to be limited. And that's why I but can't I put any stock on them. Ex- but again, that's what I'm saying. That's why when you said the hypothetical, I'm like, that really doesn't work because you're asking a player to do something that Unfortunately, they're not capable of doing at this point in their career. Like, and not just that. Okay, but to take that you leap, have you to, have to. But again, at some point, Damian unlocked. At, at some point, Lillard unlocked. At some point, Steph Curry unlocked. And it wasn't yeah, their but, rookie season. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't their first year in the league. It wasn't their third year in the league. It was around that four, five, six year. And Chris Stapps is what in his fifth season or six. Mm-hmm. But again. You're talking about Pazingas who we when are we ever gonna get a a, a Pazingas that we feel will consistently be out there on the court? The Pazingas that was Because this Pazingas pre ACL pre ACL in New York, what were his numbers? Can you retrieve those? Yeah, those is I, I think mean, he was, was a, I think he was a twenty three and ten guy at that point. For New yeah, York. I was uh for New York he was twenty twenty three and and seven. Um, for New York, for the Knicks, he's twenty three and seven in his All Star game, his All Star season. That's the season he made the All Star game. Uh, and he but, was, he was top five in blocks. Yeah, because he was averaging two and a half. Hmm. So, but the thing about it is, okay, but he's averaging rough for Dallas last year. He averaged twenty points, twenty and nine. This season, he's averaging twenty and nine. So, it hasn't it hasn't been. And he's playing about 30, 31 minutes a game. 
gets about 16 shots a game. I mean, I don't see him consistently Dallas saying, you know what? We're going to need you to take 25 shots a game. I don't see him, you know, getting that. I don't see him getting that. I just don't see him. And then, I, again, I don't see him when I'm watching Dallas at times. I'm, when I watch them play sometimes, I really just don't see him being, like I said, I just don't see him being consistent. Like I said, I, I, I think he's a skillful player, but I just don't see him making You don't see the capacity leap. to dominate. No, I don't anymore. I like, like, like it was just because he's he's really just he's really like what, and this might be a weird comparison, but he's a um, he's really a pick and pop player. You know what I mean? Like he'll get on the fast break and he'll be able to get some shots off, like maybe get to the to the. But he's not beating you off the dribble. He's not really creating his shot for himself. He's able to shoot off of you above you because he's so tall, but he's not a good post player. Yeah, his go-to one-on-one move is a mid-range fadeaway from, from the middle of the block. So, but again, playoff time come, and you're talking about they if, if playoffs started today and it goes um, it goes to um, the old way, they're the seventh seed. That means they'll be, as of, as of right now, they'll be matched up against Phoenix. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe he could try to I mean that would be the one team that you would feel have confidence that well this is he has to pull it out. He this is this is a perfect opportunity to pull to pull out that rabbit out the hat. The the twenty five and twelve that you're talking about, twenty seven and twelve that you mentioned it. He would because have to because that would be his matchup that would be the his matchup is DeAndre Ayton, and if you don't win that matchup, if you lose, listen, with Phoenix, there's certain matchups that you know you're, you're, you're not likely to win. You're not probably going to win the Devin Booker and Chris Paul backcourt no. combined matchup. They're, they're probably going to beat most of the backcourts they go up against, unless it's a Portland, um, you know, those those you know those top five backcourt level teams. Mm-hmm. But there aren't many one, there aren't many of them, and they are one of the top five backcourts. So. You have to win somewhere. And in order to win a matchup against Phoenix, you're probably going to need to beat them on the front court. DeAndre Ayton is no slouch. He's not a slouch. I think that matchup is a push as far as their skill set and what they're both capable of doing out there. DeAndre Ayton is obviously a little bit more mobile and athletic. So I would, I would favor him over seven games to probably wear down or, you know, tire out somebody like Chris Stapps. But if that were the situation, if that were the matchup, I think that's where we will point to and see why Dallas doesn't succeed because they probably don't win that matchup. So, again, I think Dallas is hedged on how well they can maximize and properly use Chris Stapps because I don't see anything else more that Luka could do. You keep giving him more shots. That just means that other people aren't shooting. But that's what I mean. There are other role players. See, I'm I'm looking at it. I can't expect Pazingas to – go ahead and get 25 a night. I'm expecting one of these guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. or Cleveland or somebody. Right, but that's like, that's like that's Jordan Clarkson. You know, again, that's that random that's, detonation. That's not consistent. Yeah, but you're not, I don't think Pazingas is going to be consistently the so guy that's going to So Dallas doesn't have a chance because any No, I, but that's team, what I've, I've never said right. they had a chance. I, right. I don't feel like, I, I feel like I feel like they are not in the suit. They're going to have to make, again, like they were saying, Dallas is a weird team. They, they do well, but the reality is they need to not do well because you need to either get some assets that people want and, and draft because that Pazingas, to me, if you're banking on Pazingas to be healthy and to be consistent, that's, that's, you're banking on the wrong things. Because but here's the problem. But here's the other problem. Dallas has young stars. When you what have young stars, stars? Luca is not twenty five. No, no, okay. I, I thought you meant like besides Luca. Okay, go ahead. Go and ahead. Porzingis is what? He's he's not even twenty seven yet, right? He's like No, 26. no, he's no yeah, he's still young. He's still young. So you, you you the draft is no longer available for them to invest in getting better. Those players are now too old or too advanced in their career for you to bring a rookie in 
and have that rookie be a part of your ascension to just how the NBA cycle works. And just for proof of what I'm saying, Devin Booker's not 25 yet. What did they do to finally push him into a position where winning became, they went and got Chris Paul, who's one of the oldest players in the league. Mm -hmm. So for Dallas to take a leap, it's not going to be a reach into the fountain of youth to get some young player unless that young player is right along that same curve of development and age as their, their current core players are. So that puts them in a, and I'm, I'm going to say his name, but I'm not saying it like he could possibly play it. But, you know, like the Ben Simmons, the Embiid's, the Jokic, the players of that class and age group, those are the type of players that Dallas would have to somehow magically get onto their roster to make a leapfrog. So that's why I point to their internal development being key with that, that, that core duo. That duo has to become – right now, Luka is giving you 28 and Chris Stapps is giving you 20. That's almost 50 points a game, right? Mm-hmm. They have to get into that to be a truly dominant duo level where they're giving you 55. So the only person who can catch up is going to be Chris Stapps. So, again, that's where I'm at with them. I don't want to, you know, dwell any more time. We've given Dallas probably more airtime than they actually may even deserve. Shout out to J.J. Reddick. You know what I mean? But um, are there any other pressing topics or issues that you wanted to address in this? Because this, this is a one-shot where we wanted to definitely give our flowers, give our flowers to LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, no, 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 no. We, happy and healthy retirement. Very none. This is good to go for for an episode. We gave him a lot of. He gave him. A, he gave him a shine. Gave him his flowers. Uh, again, like I said, he had a he had a very good career, uh, great career, and he made the most of it. And again, like I said, his health is the most important thing because you just don't want the something negative to happen while he's on a basketball court, knowing that he could have walked away and been fine. You know, so that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. And Fans, or just, people just got to respect it. You know what I mean? Because it's not like he's saying, yo, I just don't want to play. I lost the love of the game. It's like, nah, I, I really would love to still play, but my health is an issue, and that's more important. So, again, And I that's, commend that's, them for the courage because, again, it takes just as much courage to walk away as it does to keep playing. And I think we sometimes, we sometimes look at one as being lesser than the other, but in this particular regard, you know, I have nothing but reverence for him. But yeah, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to say thank you to our listeners and supporters. If you would like to support us and join the wave, you can do so by following us and messaging us on any of the podcasts and platforms we're hosted on. You can email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And on that note,